This is the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast. Okay, so we are back on the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast, and I think that this is an historical occasion because it's the first time ever having the same non-Tim Man guest two weeks in a row, the master, Bo Bonner. So, I, I, I have to come up with crazy things to talk about in order to warrant this historical event because I think people get used to the Tim Man and the uh, rowdy and uh, provocative things he says. And it's, it's not been very often in my life that someone has been seen as much more interesting than me. It's, it's really a, a deep problem I'm having this Lent. I know. If you want to help your ego, it's very easy. You just say that some woman, in this case perhaps Amy Adams, is H-O-T hot, hot, hot. And then, and then you bring up Pope Francis at some point, and you're good. You checked all the Tim Man boxes. I have tried to bring in uh, uh, Bob Dylan. You know what I think is funny about this is it's becoming a theme that if a child is going to suffer in any way, evidently my role in this podcast is to watch that movie. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the movie for today. Well, first of all, I want to say one other thing. We were supposed to have a, a three-man podcast with the the uh, the doctor Budmar, our mutual friend. But he backed out, so hopefully we'll get him on in the near future. In the meantime, if you know him at all, uh, or you can Google him and send spam to his email, that would be a fitting punishment. Yeah, you, you should really lay into him. He's supposedly sick and spending too much time away from his family. Well, so, uh, so yeah, so today's movie is going to be Arrival. Now, if you're a fan of the Catholic Movie Guy podcast, you may have noticed that I did a mini-podcast way back in the day, like episode four or five, something like that, on Arrival. Just me, because at that time no one had seen it uh, that wanted to do a podcast with me. But because it's considered, you know, one of the best films of 2016, for our best of 2016 to uh, to make sure that we cover all our bases and, and be fair to the, the uh, stellar movies of the year, I wanted to cover it. It also is rich uh, for, I think theological and uh, other extrapolations with Mr. Bonner. So that's what we're going to do. Real quick, though, no no uh, spoiler warnings on this. This is all spoilers. If you do want a spoiler-free podcast about Arrival, you have it from back then. And uh, we're going to go from here on out spoiling the movie. I'm going to start with my initial take because I have a feeling that Bo and I do not necessarily agree on the worth of the movie overall. So... The first time I watched it, I think I gave it like an 8 out of 10. I put it at number 4, 5, 6, something like that on my year-end list. thought it was really good. Of course, like every time travel or time-questioning movie, it has some room for criticism from a, from a realistic level, but who cares? Right. I thought it was really good. Okay, It emotionally affected me. The relationship, Amy Adams was great. The relationship between her and her daughter, who is dying of some horrible disease, maybe cancer, some rare disease, wonderful. Okay? Got me in my feely heart place. It was, it was great. Um, I think the overall message of the movie is great. The, uh, pro-life? Very, pro-life? very pro-life movie. And then uh, as another message, the, the theme of, you know, like having to work together across, uh, international lines is, is great and always timely. And that's, that's wonderful. And it's particularly timely perhaps right now. Whatever. Great. Woo woo. Okay. So I forced, so, so, uh, you wanted to do this podcast with me, so I said, I gotta watch it again. I can't just not watch it. So I, I forced myself to watch it again. 
And I'm going to I'm going to give my immediate take, okay? Cuz I am not, you know, Siskel, I'm not Ebert either. I, I try to give be fair, I try to be artsy, whatever. I got to tell you, it's the most boring movie about an alien invasion, not just that I've ever seen, but that I can imagine seeing, okay? I cannot imagine a more boring movie about aliens coming to Earth, okay? That's not necessarily enough to end the discussion. But it was a very, very tough chore for me to watch it the second time, I must admit. Uh, and I have some serious problems, not just with the pacing, but with um, the mechanics of the, the, the alien invasion and, and, and the whole time travel thing, I think, are, are worse than in a lot of movies that, that I would give leeway to. So It's not technically time travel, so we're, I'm already seeing how this is going to no, be. No, it is. It time. is time travel. For the aliens, um, it is. Uh, go ahead, keep going. So you're saying that... So time out. How is it not time travel for them? Because they say we come from 3,000 years in the future. No, 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 no. What they say is they experience time non-linearly. And what they say is they've came now to talk, uh, to do this for the humans. We help the humans now because in 3,000 years they will help us. Okay, fine. Conceded. Nevertheless, my biggest problem with this... I was a linguistics major, okay? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm well, oh, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna brook any <laughs> criticism of linguists, okay? I'm joking. Yeah, I'm All right. So for me, a linguist saving the world essentially is is like, oh, I'm in. You know what I'm saying? Linguist yeah. saves the world plus alien invasion. Where do I sign up? Right. The, the way she attempts to communicate with these beings, and the way they attempt to communicate with her, and I get it. Okay, they're trying to get her to have to work with other countries, right? Is that basically it, to have all the countries work together? Yeah, yeah, and I, you know what? I'm already going to cede the point about, like, the let's all work together and be happy point is, like, to me, by far the least interesting point of this movie. I mean, it's so facile. I mean, yeah, yeah. great. I, te- I teach my two-year-old that. No problem. I don't need a two-hour movie for that. But right. if you're coming from with knowledge of, of 3,000 years at a minimum into the future because of the nonlinear way you see time... How do you choose to communicate through the way they do? I mean, they could have they could have set up some sort of mutual communication in like five seconds with their knowledge. And Amy Adams, as the best linguist in the country, what does she come up with for her first slang? Right? She writes "human" on a board and walks up to the aliens. Are you kidding me? How about like waving your hand in the air? This is up. Waving down. This is down. Let's start up and down, left and right. How you learn any language? You know what I'm saying? I just. And I, I and and I've read some reviews. This is, these aren't all original ideas, but I just I I loathe it. I think it's so stupid. Go ahead, Bo. <laughs> loathe. Yes, wow. I really do. And 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 I I, re- I say that like I want to like this movie. And I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's a good movie. But I lo- I think it's so stupid. I think they could have made it a great movie. Well, okay. So a few things for me. I watched it the first time and thought like, oh, it's a pretty good movie. I watched it the second time after a night of it bothering me all night and thought it was an, a much better movie on the second one. So it's funny that we came to opposite conclusions on the second view. It is, but I, and I'll let you finish. I, it's not just funny. It's like I can't remember the last time I watched a movie and I didn't like it more or at least as much on the second watch. This is the first time in a long time. So, okay, for me, there's a few things going on. And maybe I'm – this is a predisposition that will un- make me – Rule me out for the rest of your podcast, but I really appreciate when movies do a good job of sort of subtly evoking um, the sort of world and the homage of other movies. And so 
this very much is 2001 A Space Odyssey paste without the menace. And so... Right, and the, alien, and the aliens, the alien ships themselves evoke the uh, monoliths. The monoliths. Yeah, I mean, yes. it's, it's okay. great. It's beautiful. Right, so, they, and they, so it's like that plus the standable parts of AI in evoking both of those. And so, of course, they're, they're wanting it to be the long shot, right? Like, why on earth would they have an alien invade Montana except that they want these towering long shots of the monolith with Montana in the background? Mm-hmm. And it really does evoke it, – it also evokes Tree of Life. I don't know if they mean to do that, but there's certainly that sort of Malick kind of uh, pacing – and framing going on, mm-hmm. especially like all of the sort of trailing over the shoulder shots. Like I kept thinking, like this is supposed to be more tone poem than anything else, and, and really sort of the Malik sort of stuff. So I have to admit that I'm probably a sucker for movies paced this way. And why I think I liked it is because you were comparing it to invasion movies being boring, and I was all like, "Wow, this is the most quickly moving ma- moving Malik movie." So I, I I agree. I think I have no problem with leisurely paced movies. I, I love the movie Solaris for one, even the the George <laughs> Clooney movie. Okay, I, yeah. lo- I I have no problem with that. And the and I think it is a beautiful movie. I like how it evokes these other movies. I I think all that's great. Um, but for some reason, the second time I, I just found it tedious, and I think I did because. The movie does, it's it's not M. Night Shalomalamalamalan level right. of trickery, but it does right. rely on that trick. And that trick, I think, worked really well. Um, I think they set it up nicely because your predisposition to see the movie linearly, like we all uh, are, and you think her daughter died before this alien invasion occurred. Right. And you learn at the end, you know, maybe you figure out halfway through, but you don't figure out right away that her daughter actually, no, dies in the future. Here, pause real quick. I'm, no, don't pause the thing. Just I'm telling you this. Uh, my wife, I, I had, I pledged that I would point out to the world that she figured that out far earlier than I did. Great. So, I do your your, wa- your wife sounds like a firecracker, based on the uh, the discussions we've had on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell her you said that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so maybe you figure it out earlier or later. But it's a good trick, right? But yeah. knowing the trick going in this time and and realizing because i knew the trick some of these more problematic aspects of the the whole how they communicate it just irritated me i also want to make one other point which has slipped my mind come back wait wait here it is uh the dialogue i think is clunky in some points especially two cringeworthy lines i don't know if you remember them but when forrest whitaker first takes them up and uh, he says, she's like, what happens now? He's like, they arrive. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All righty. Yeah, that's the name of the movie. Get it. Right. And then at the end, when Jeremy Renner, who I, I, I don't hate him as a man. He seems like a fine man. Oh, my wife hates him too. Yeah, I, I movie hate him. I don't know why. I just look at him and I hate him. And that's not yeah. Christian. That's not Catholic. I don't <laughs> approve of it, but it's just, it's just my passion. He says, you want to make a baby? And I like... Yeah. Okay, worst pickup lines ever. Like, okay. just a couple, the dialogue. Ugh. All, right, all right, go ahead. Dealing with those two immediately, then making the wider point. One, okay, first of all, I have a, a immense respect for Renner because he made Hawkeye standable, who's the <laughs> lamest character in so, comic books. And that might be it. He's just so lame. Hawkeye is so lame. But oh. I thought he made him standable. I no, I thought he was him. great, actually, especially in the newest Avengers. Was it yeah, the yeah. Civil War? That was, Civil I thought he was great, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, on that line... 
um, I'm a man, I know other men, men would totally say that line, no matter if it is clucky and stupid. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't countenance in an art film, I'm sorry. Okay, then B, um, <laughs> science nerds, like, they probably made the movie saying, like, I'll do this movie if someone can say they arrived. And then they signed the dot. Um, and Forrest Whitaker, as good of an actor as he is, he's, like, knowing him, it wasn't even in the script, and he said it. And they're like, we have to do it or Forrest Whitaker will back out. That just seems like something yeah. he'd be like. Yeah. Now, it is clunky dialogue, and... I have to, this is probably getting into Tim Mann's, uh, you know, No Country for Old Men theories. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. I think they meant to do that. I think that there's a lot of uh, purposeful, like, people not understanding each other, people barely saying anything, and loads of silence to really try to, like, make an emphasis about language. The other thing is, okay, I understand all your critiques. Wait, I gotta cut you off. I'm a lawyer, okay? You're the defense attorney for this movie. That argument was brilliant. I don't buy it for a second, but that was brilliant. I gotta give it to you. Go ahead. Keep going. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. The second is, okay, linguistically, I've studied linguistic too because I'm a philosopher and we study inferior fields like linguistic and psychology. Wait, Uh, hold on. Just a second, Bo. You're welcome. That's your first bell. Don't make it okay. your last, so. <laughs> so, uh, I understand your point. It doesn't linguistically work, but, like, you have a really hard thing to do. Because the book or the short story it comes from, actually, there's not as, there's actually, they do different things for the book, and I was reading about the differences between the book and the movie, and I start to really sympathize and understand. Because you have to make visual linguistics, and that's already insane. Like, let's just be honest about that. That is that is a monumental task. So, again, maybe I'm just, like, thinking about it in terms of they could have made a much worse movie, and I'm impressed with what they've done. <laughs> like, putting the sort of – you have to come up with a way to talk about a nonlinear um, – n- uh, not phonograph, uh, but a pictograph a, – a, a nonlinear pictographic language. And so you make, like, sort of coffee-stained circles. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I, I kind of thought that was an interesting way to try to pull it off. That Because... I, yeah, I, I actually... I concede that point, and I, I agree. Like, I think once you move past the initial part, I liked how they did that. Um, no, I, I, the, linguistically, I mean, it's funny because in classes, I will make a big deal about how... Uh, this is me being, bringing up Wittgenstein, that you can't teach languages completely... Um, Darn it, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm going to mess up the actual word, but, you know, uh, you can't just simply point to things and say words because there's so much that you can mess up, you know? So, yeah. like, if I'm pointing at a ball, am I saying round or red or ball or whatever? Mm-hmm. So, true, walking up with the, the physical, you know, drawn-out word human, you know, how are we going to know that the heptapods know? Yeah what you're I, talking about. I mean, she might as well have walked up with the Gettysburg Address on a postcard. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just Com- stupid. Okay, com- so... Completely agree. But, right. like, in a Hollywood movie... Yeah, well... Like, here's how much the are you going to give up to be, like, a good linguist? That's here's, all I'm Here's saying. the thing, Brother Bo. You ever seen the movie Contact? Yes. They communicate in pictures. That seems like a better starting point if you want to learn a language. Like, let's at least get, get some, some base of of uh, a shared knowledge but but secondly another film very recent the martian did you see the martian 
I did. So Damon is able to communicate back to Earth using, I think it's hexadecimal, right? right. I mean, why not start with math, with numbers, with something that that is universal? I just, I oh, just don't get. Wait, I don't know. Do you hear that sound? That's everyone in America falling asleep without Matt Damon <laughs> trouncing around up there. So. You, no, you already lost that one, dude. <laughs> dude <laughs> you have I think... to have a way in which to show the sort of... I mean, look, I, I'm even sort of like ambivalent about like that part of the movie where it turns into a documentary for a second with a voiceover. Mm-hmm. But I'm just willing to concede that because you're like, oh my gosh, they're like telling some heavy-hitting points about linguistics. Yeah, yeah. And I, they're I... important for the movie... And I and like I have to applaud them because it sounds like quite a few people watched this movie and understood what it was stinking about. Yeah, I, I agree. They did. They did make some good points about uh, about that. And and I think overall, it's a. It, I would say it's a good movie. I don't want to trash it, but well, it's it's not a movie that I would I want to watch ever. But another again. comparison, though. Another no. I actually want to watch this. I, I mean, there's two You're reasons You're sick. That I want to watch You're it. sick and demented. But Go ahead. Here's another one. Comparing it to Interstellar, something that we, you know, when you came on our radio show that you oh, talked yeah. about. Oh, yeah, yeah, This is going to touch oh. a nerve, by the way. Go ahead. I think their description of non-linearity was so much more plausible in a Hollywood movie setting than the sort of quantum mumbo-jumbo that I liked enough. But I, when I watched Interstellar, I was like, how does anyone except the nerdiest of nerds like this? Because they went deep. And then they went deep in Interstellar on one hand and talking about, like, gravity wells and everything. Mm-hmm. And then on another one, they're like, you know what? Let's just make a an homage to 2001 A Space Odyssey and then have him, like, go to a lot of bookcases and, and travel through time that way. I mean, like, they kind of really tried to have their cake and eat it, too. And I so, thought Arrival so did a better job. Here's my problem with Arrival. Arrival tries to split the baby. I like my sci-fi preposterous... Or shallow, and this thing is right in the middle. It's just plausible enough to make you mad that they do such a poor job. Whereas Interstellar is like whatever wormholes, I don't care. It's an hour on the water planet. It's five thousand years on Earth. I don't care, and it's emotionally resonant. This movie has emotional resonance, but it's it tries to be something realistic, and I feel like it fails. And that's why I'm so critical about it because I am not. I know a lot of people, and I think you're actually more like this than me. I don't like critiquing plot holes. I'm I'm not observant. I'm more perceptive than observant. I don't really care about the details unless you right. try to make the details the story. And I, I feel like that's the difference here. Okay, but why I don't think that is what the movie... So the movie's a palindrome. You realize this, right? It's a oh, palindrome yes, like Hannah is. Yes. And so they're willing to give up a lot of explainy talky talky time i think in order to maintain the palindrome structure again you have to make decisions in movies and i'm glad that they did that instead of interstellar which like by hour three you're like oh yeah this started out with a bunch of corn i forgot about that you know <laughs> man I, I i don't know i irrationally love that movie you're, you're almost hurting me i mean no, i, love I, mean, that I really so i really much. do like that movie but the other thing is just um man the the sort of dwelling on the idea of i i i will choose to have this child knowing everything that will come 
I mean, that that just really struck me. I, I mean, like I had a, a rough night thinking about like things and being a dad and all. You want to talk about a movie that just like messed up my sleeping schedule? It was this movie precisely about thinking about that question of like, if you could see your whole life laid out in front of you, would you choose all of it? And yeah. I thought it did it in such a gentle way that, I don't know, I was really impressed. Yeah, I mean, that is my favorite part of the movie, and that's why I will always recommend it, despite what I think are serious flaws aesthetically or, or mechanically. Um, I agree, I think that's beautiful. It is really one of the more pro-life movies maybe ever, because it... And 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 I don't want to like it. It didn't emotionally affect me, even in the way that Interstellar did. I don't know why. On a second viewing, uh, I don't know. I was just irritated. But I can see objectively, yes, that is great. I can see how it it would affect you like that. And I think it is a great um, jumping off point to discuss, you know, the in Catholicism, the like the view of God versus humans, which is like God has us live linearly because. If we were faced with decisions like that, who knows how we would choose it? It's much right. easier to choose, you know, an unknown in our limited faculties than to say, I know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, and it might be something really horrible, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, and go through with it anyway because it's the right thing, you know. Well, and and I'm I'm ripping someone off. I forget who it is, uh, but I mean, I, I I kind of nascently thought this, and then they just put it in words for me. This movie is one of the most profoundly teleological movies that there is. So, like, it's just Aristotle written into a very high key, right? The heptapods, it's not that they live in the future and time travel, and it's not even sort of the the uh, quantum relativism of, of, of Interstellar, as interesting that is. What they basically are arguing is that they, since they see time nonlinearly, they see all of it in terms of the purpose, so the teleological end or goal. In the book, uh, or in the story, she really sort of explores this in terms of, like, is there true freedom or not? And I haven't got to read the short story. I was reading a review about it. And that sounds like an interesting debate and, and case on its own. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, it's clearly this idea of, like, is, is the, the telos of Hannah worth it, even if she dies young? And there's just this affirmation, right, that teleologically, a human is worth it even if it tears my life up. Right. And you think about that in terms of your children, of us who don't know, we know that it's going to involve pain and sorrow, but teleologically we say yes. And so these, these seven-footed, you know, they may as well be angels in the, the very technical term of bringing a message from the heavens, they, they point this to us, right, is we all get bogged down in these ideas about what's China doing, why do we only have... Um, a twelfth of the the message, and I didn't know if they were going for twelve tribes or twelve apostles. I didn't know what they were doing with all that's that. That's another, yeah, that's another yeah. interesting thing. But yeah, but but when it comes down to it, though, is the aliens see everything for that's telos, and so even though Abbott is in death process, you know, because of these Marines watching, you know, whatever, uh, uh, and then doing a bomb in the the spaceship, for them, it's that this is worthwhile because 3,000 years from now, what you will do for us. And I just thought that's... It's, it's a movie that I think that I could show a class and then be able to talk about teleology easier. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to... I'm just going to let slide my objections and say I, I totally understand and I agree. I want to I wanna wrap up by, by jumping off there to a larger point about this movie and these movies generally, Interstellar. Lots of movies like this, uh, Prometheus... 
Why why is it you think and we talked about this a little on the radio show, but it's like we are like searching for anything to give us eternity, nonlinear time, meaning, impar- imparting of knowledge and meaning and purpose, like you said. Other than God. Like these movies are coming out of the woodwork. There's one every year that's exactly like this, like the aliens have to teach us or space has to teach us about, you know, eternity. Oh yeah. And, you know, you either have to do something silly like, you know, Richard Dawkins' understanding of memes or like, you know, Carl Jung's ideas about, you know, archetypes, or you just have to say, this is the longing in the, in the heart of every human to know that there is an existence outside linear time and that there is some being whose existence is rooted there that is our both our beginning and our end. I mean, and so you either go like, this is just this weird trope that a bunch of hairless apes cooked up in the middle of, you know, fighting intertribal warfare, or it's actually like the principle of existence, and as much as we want to fight against it, we keep coming back to that principle. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just wish that, and, I, and this is a pipe dream, maybe someday, you know, if everything breaks right right for the Catholic movie guy and I get like a wad of cash, I can finance this movie. I would love to see the sci-fi movie that takes these questions and also includes, like, you know, God. Has any sci-fi movie ever really done that in an explicit way? Well, I mean, so the question that you want, like, that you're butting up against, which is a whole other 30-minute argument, is something like what Tolkien got in arguments about with C.S. Lewis and sub-creation, right? So, like, you can say, well, why does Tolkien have this whole Middle-earth world and there's no religion? And the idea is like, well, there's a, in a way, he can actually talk about religion easier, making this world where it's not completely mappable onto ours. And, you know, I, I thought that we sort of brought that up with uh, Rogue One and Star Wars. There was this way to talk about religion because you could talk about a fictional world and the religion within it. I wonder with Star, if you, if you do this, you know, with um, sci-fi, what are the ramifications? But then I think the point that you can throw out, one of my favorite movies, Serenity and the uh, whole series Firefly, they have it where there's Christians in it. And it's honestly um, an interesting take that, like you said, is very different than a lot of sci-fi movies. See, I, I have not seen seen those, so perhaps I have to. I, I don't know. I'm under the impression that they're like schlocky. Is that not true? Of Serenity and Firefly? Yeah. Gee yeah. whiz. Uh, Serenity is one of the best sci-fi movies there is and where it's schlocky it's on purpose right so it's very much trying to be like a space western Uh and uh yeah so you know how i mean joss whedon's avengers is schlocky in all the right ways yeah that's what i I, that's what i would say i guess what i meant by schlocky is like the production values are not there is that oh well the uh, if you're talking about the the tv shows sure because it was like fox Mm -hmm. you know whatever like in the early 2000s but no serenity the movie I actually think it's one of the best ship fights in space there's been. Okay, well, I've got to... I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to go out on a limb and try to do that. I would love to do the, a podcast about that. I the also, Serenity? Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I've, I've watched that like 20 times. I love that movie. Yeah, of course, as we, as we mentioned earlier, an obvious influence on this and every other one is 2001. I would love to do a podcast about that because I'm never sure what I think of it no matter how many times um, I watch it. I can't, I can't tell you what that movie is ultimately about. Exactly. I, I, I mean, and it seems to me everybody who deals with it 
only deals with narrow parts of it. So they either talk about the prehistory of the monolith, or they talk about the human's relation with Hal, or they talk about the space baby, but they never talk about what does the whole thing mean? Because I just think it's it's too much. There must be some secret 1970s drugs that don't exist anymore. Yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, now that you mention it, I don't know if you saw, there's deleted scenes for 2001, um, and in one of them, Jeremy Renner asks Hal if he wants to make a space baby, so... <laughs> 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 you know what? Talking about like talking about all this as a heptapod and what the teleology is, your podcast was made just so that joke could be could happen. <laughs> I and three thousand like, years from now, the heptapods will will come back and thank us. You, you know, you, you you kid, but uh, I was wondering why God called me to do this podcast, and I think it was for that joke. It might be the best joke I ever made. So oh my uh, God, I, I can't. I, I gotta wrap it up. <laughs> so. uh What's your final take? What do you give this movie out of ten? Um, a solid eight. Solid eight. Wow, you defended it, and you're only going an eight. Well, I thought I mean, for sure it'd be like a like, nine. You know? Do you like never rank anything one through five? Because for me, like an average movie would be five. No, you know, honestly, ideal, ideally for me, like I, uh, I mean, I do do that, but like I, I would rather have it like a hundred scale because I like more gradations than ten. Okay, um, well, that's, but that's fair enough. But yeah, for this movie, I would give it like a, a six point five space babies. I think to seven space babies. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. Uh, I would. Yeah, give it um, an eight. Um, flickery Forest Whitaker eyes. You know what? You actually made some good arguments. I hate to admit, it. I'm gonna give it seven space babies. That's my final review for Arrival, the Great Arrival. Cause, yeah, because in the end, what I'd say is like, there's like sort of the Pantheon. Those are like untouchable movies. Then there's like really great ones. And then whatever the, that category under that, that's where I would put Arrival. And to me, that's, yeah, an eight. Gotcha. And to me, it's just one notch below that level that you're putting it at. But, uh, yeah, I still think everybody should see it. I definitely think it, it's it's fruitful and, and worthy of being seen. And I just want to say, Bo, um, do you know what happens now? With what? They depart. Uh, boom! Wait. All right, that's it. We're wrapping it up. I don't know if you're going to be on next week. I don't know if you and and, uh, and Bud will be on. I don't know if the Tin Man will watch a movie this weekend. Is Who knows? This the middle? Is it the end? Is I don't know. It's crazy. Non-linearly, we're out. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay.